It's time for episode 24 of the Clockwise Podcast from the editors of Tech Hive, PC World, Mac World, and Greenbot, recorded February 13, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast where time is on your side. I am your co-host, Dan Warren, and I'm joined this week by very special co-host, Philip Michaels. Hi, Phil. Yes, I've, I've, I've eaten Jason Snell's heart and gained his courage. And all of his powers. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, that's impressive. Uh, it's very Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, I feel like. Yes. Uh, we've also joined by two uh, fabulous guests this week. Senior editor Chris Breen is here. Hi, Chris. Hello. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Excellent. And seated next to me of Tech Hive and Greenbot fame, more to come on Greenbot in the near future, I would imagine, is Florence Ion. Hello. Hello. Well, welcome to both of our guests. And just a reminder for those of you out there who may not tune in regularly on Clockwise, we want to not take up too much of your time. So we talk about four tech topics for about five minutes each, and then we uh, save a little time at the end for a nice little bonus question. So seeing as how I am this week's host, I am going to go first. Uh, I read a piece over at CNET the other day in which it was quoting an analyst who suggested that the only way for Apple to really succeed in life, because God knows they're not doing a very good job so far, is if iOS and OS X merge to create some sort of, I believe they called it an iAnywhere system, where you can use a device as either a tablet or as a desktop computer, uh, depending on what your circumstances are. I would like to hear what you guys think of that particular suggestion. Mr. Breen, do you have some thoughts? Yes, I recall a toy from my childhood. It was called the Johnny 7 OMA. And it was a one-man army. It had seven, apparently, uh, had seven weapons on it. And it turns out if you, after you play with it for about 10 minutes, it all fell apart. Um, so there are cases when it's a good idea to put a bunch of stuff on one thing, like the Swiss Army knife, for example. Not so bad. But it can't do everything. You know, you can't put a bottle of water on one of these knives. And, and again, with the Johnny 7 OMA... Sure, you could uh, virtually set fire to your friends with a flamethrower, but if you needed a grenade, it didn't have it. So, no, I don't think that it makes sense. There, there are areas where a desktop computer makes a lot of sense, and the operating system that goes with it makes sense for like fine editing in audio and video, for example, whereas a mobile device is good for other things. So to create the one operating system to rule them all just seems silly to me. It, it doesn't seem that it's going to benefit either system. You know, I, I really enjoy how uh, tech writers uh, want to give advice to Apple on how Apple should should do its business. Because if there's one company that's just really struggling to, to make ends meet, that's really staggering in the darkness, um, it's Apple. I've, I've been writing about this company since 1999. I've, I've probably given it lots of advice. I don't think Apple has listened to one word that I've said, <laughs> and I think Apple is a stronger company for it. That said, uh, no, this is crazy talk. Uh, it, I like what Apple is doing in which it's bringing parts of iOS and OS X in line so that there's a bit of a seamless experience as you move from phone to Mac to tablet. But one operating system makes absolutely no sense because 
different devices are used for different things. Different devices have different contexts and uh, a touchscreen interface is perfect for a handheld device. Not so good when I'm sitting at my, my computer and have to reach out to my, my uh, Mac Pro screen. I, I, I think that my MacBook Pro screen, I should say. Um, I, I, I just I'm sure the writer had a deadline to fill and got lots of page views for that argument. But um, uh, bah, I say. Flo? I'm glad that we are all in agreement here. Uh, I just want to provide a little anecdote. You know, every time I leave the house, there are always two things that I pack, my phone and my MacBook Air. I never bring my tablet with me anywhere. I don't need it. It's it, I hate just the touchiness of it. The only time I want the touchiness of it is right before bed when I'm just trying to read. So... I can't even imagine the ugliness that would come of uh, melding together OS 10 and iOS 7. I mean, it's just two absolutely different use cases. So I'm glad we all agree on this. Well, you know, to put it in perspective, let's Microsoft has worked very hard at integrating its touch and desktop OSs in the Surface, which has been a big winner. They just can't sell them fast enough. Um, so, you know, I, I think that this has been tried and I think Apple, you know, spends their time figuring out what's going to work best for all these different use cases. Chris pointed out the, uh, the Swiss Army knife, which I think is a great example. I mean, it's super handy to have a pair of scissors on your Swiss Army knife, but you wouldn't want to say, if you were, say, sewing a dress pattern or doing something like that, you wouldn't want to use your Swiss Army knife scissors for all of that, right? They're not, they're, they're good for cutting a piece of paper here and there, but they're not exactly the heavy duty scissors you want to use for an actual like craft project. Um, so I, I, while iOS and OS 10 not only have sort of a similar heritage, they actually rely fundamentally on the same sort of frameworks and programming under the hood. But Apple's clearly spent the time to delineate this is stuff that we do for touch. This is stuff we do for like keyboard and mouse. You know, we're not going to meld those two together because there's nobody who really wins from that. So while I think this is, you know, uh, an invest, a uh, analyst and a tech writer coming up with you know things that sound great to some people. It really doesn't make sense when you take it apart. So I'm glad we do all agree on that, and that no doubt Apple will listen to us and say, "Hey, you know, it's great that they agree with us. We're doing the right thing." I'm sure they will care. Uh, Chris, I believe you had a topic for us. I do. I'd like to talk a little bit about plagiarism. Uh, something near and dear to my heart, because recently a piece of mine was ripped off by a site called imacland.com uh, by an alleged author named Nancy Plank. They, they doubled down, they tried to cover their tracks, it didn't work out, and finally they dropped the story, which was great. So the broader question is, is content now perceived as so free that plagiarism is more acceptable? For example, major journalists and politicians are doing it. Some of them lose their jobs and others, they just brush it off because they just say, oops, uh, somebody made a mistake by copying out of Wikipedia. So one, what difference does it really make? And two, have you ever been ripped off? Well, Chris, I'd like to talk a little bit about plagiarism, a subject near and dear to my – see what I'm doing here? I'm copying. Yeah. It's a bit. It's a bit. I like it. It's a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there are certain um, – uh, uh, crimes and misdemeanors that uh, that I react very poorly to. Uh, uh, 
perhaps overreact poorly to in relation to their their effect on the greater world. Littering. If I see people littering, that just that just drives me up a wall. <laughs> I, I go crazy about that. You're like a Hulk when it comes No, to I really I Hulk out. Oh man. It is it is it is it 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 sets off a trigger. And it's the same with plagiarism, just because of the the career that I've I've chosen. And yeah, I, I do think um, the internet has been great uh, for many things, it gives uh, more people a platform, and it makes it easier to disseminate your words. But it also, uh, I think, has cheapened it. In, it. Because so much on the internet is free, people think that words and content has no value uh, and can be easily uh, uh, passed around, uh, uh, shared, uh, taken without credit. And I, I – I, um, I think that's one of the, the the downsides that we have to be on on guard against. Um, ha- have I ever been ripped off? Uh, a- actually, uh, probably a lot of the time. I can think of one specific time when a a writer lifted wholesale uh, a, an app review I did, um, copied and pasted it, and forgot to copy and paste the byline part, which would have been uh, would have been great. And um, I believe I emailed him with a. I liked it better when it had my byline on it. Great article, though. <laughs> And uh, that uh, disappeared into the ether, much like uh, much like Chris's incident. Flo, has anyone ever copy and pasted you? You know, there were, uh, was a couple of instances back in the day uh, at my first gig where I would constantly find my articles uh, pasted onto these, you know, um, hack and hide sort of Mac sites uh, and. I just, you know, I just kind of passed the link along to the lawyer and just said, please take care of this. This is super lame. Um, but, you know, in J school, they uh, they made us sign a plagiarism contract that we were not to copy anything from the Internet, from a book, from anybody else in the journalism department. And that instilled so much fear in me. I, I just – I never want anybody to ever – uh, to ever accuse me of copying them because I feel like that's, you know, some people would see it as, well, you know, my work is so great. That's why people want to copy me. But honestly, I think it's kind of an insult. Um, just, you know, give credit where credit's due. Block quote it if you, uh, if you, if you want to use a passage that somebody used that you think it's great. There's so many ways around it that are fair and true. And I you know, what kind of society are we breeding where we all just copy everyone? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I did have an experience like this, like Flo, when I was starting out, actually back when I was still writing for our, our Mac user blog when we used to have it, um, which was that a guy, and this was common in those days, like in, in some ways, like people would see a story and they'd essentially do what's, you know, someone sometimes called rewrite it. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, let's just take this story that someone else wrote and then just paraphrase it, which is I think very similar to what happened to Chris. Um, but this was an actually pretty reputable site um, that did this. And I actually still have a somewhere I have a screenshot that I took of the two pieces side by side with, you know, like keywords changed here and there. But the structure of the piece was entirely the same. It had the same links. And the words were literally like I went and looked in a thesaurus and found another word that looked, you know, roughly the same as your word, but changed it. So now it's distinct. Um, and, you know, that guy, uh, I don't think I confronted him about it at the time. Um, but I'm, you know, disheartened to know that he has gone on to a career as a senior editor at Fortune. So clearly that worked out well for him. Um, 
So, you know, but it's really, it is, it, I think it's probably similar in some ways to what uh, developers feel like when they see an app of theirs pirated or ripped off, right? Like, it's the same thing with software these days. People think it's, oh, yeah, software, that's not expensive. That didn't take anybody time to make. Why don't I just rip it off? Um, you know, people think the same way about content. And to Phil's point about sharing, I think that, you know, having a... I wonder if social media has increased or decreased the amount of plagiarism because it's become so easy to link to things and share things around that in some ways, like Flo is saying, you know, why not just put a link in your Twitter feed? Oh, this person wrote a great article rather than spending all the time to think, well, I've got to rewrite it on my blog so I can get page views. So I would be interested to know if there are any statistics about that. But it is a scourge and it still exists to this day. I just want to quickly add, uh, it, uh, many, many years ago when I first started uh, web design, just making web pages in my house, I, ac- I I didn't accidentally, I took someone's whole code of her website, her NSYNC website, and <laughs> made my own NSYNC website. And I felt so bad about it that I IM'd her one day and I said, I'm so sorry, I stole your HTML code. And anyway, now now we're great friends. Now I see her once a year. <laughs> so. Wow, that's um, that is a touching story, actually. You know, Are you still listening to In Sync, though? <laughs> uh, you know, don't look at my Spotify queue. <laughs> what happens in Spotify stays in Spotify. Exactly. Though. Right. So I'll just wrap up and say that anybody who wants to actually follow the, this sordid tale can go to chrisbreen.com and look up the So Plagiarism um, article. Or they can yeah. go to danmorn.net and read the same article. <laughs> Just with some words changed. Yeah, just a couple words here and there. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could we could take the stand there that uh, plagiarism is bad. I think that's uh, bold. I don't bold. care how many listeners we lose over that. Um, what I would like to talk about is, uh, I, I think, possibly a more contentious subject. Uh, the Beatles, who uh, uh, resurfaced this week on Apple TV with their very own channel. Apple uh, created this channel um, to commemorate the uh, 50th anniversary of the the Apple's first live U.S. appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. You can watch the streaming of that performance and also, uh, frankly, they're doing it to move product and uh, uh, sell some of the Beatles' U.S. albums, which depending on how you appreciate music may or may not be a a good thing to buy. Um, But what got me interested was not so much the Beatles since uh, we're talking about a band that last recorded an album 44 years ago, but rather what uh, a channel like this means for what Apple might do with its uh, set-top box in the future. Uh, Flo, do you have any thoughts about where Apple is taking its Apple TV? I have to be honest with you. I have never used an Apple TV in my life. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I am. I love my Roku, my little Roku. Uh, so, you know. Well, then let me let me rephrase the question. Does <laughs> Roku have these similar one-off uh, channels like a Beatles channel or Apple has its Apple Events channel for keynotes? It also has a channel for the iTunes Music Festival that happens every year over in uh, the UK. You know what? It's kind of like uh, like NASA has a channel on Roku and Disney has a little channel on Roku. And I actually love those little channels because, A, I don't have to pay for cable. I could just get the things that I want to see. And, you know, by the way, I just want to point out uh, HBO, if you could maybe have a channel on any of these set-top boxes, that'd be great. They have one on Apple TV. Well, but I don't have a cable subscription. Anyway, I think channels, that's, I think it's just a great idea. I love that this is where set-top boxes are going because, you know, I just want a la carte TV. That's all I want, a la carte TV. 
I too want a la carte TV, but not MTV. Um, I, I, I think this is, um, this is pretty indicative of a lot of the stuff they've been doing so far. Phil, you mentioned the Apple events channel, like that's a great example of something that sort of pops up, but only when it's really relevant, um, which is kind of cool that they can deploy that when needed, but they've also been adding a lot of standby content, you know, uh, just of all these different channels from all over, um, which I think is, is really showing that they're trying, they, they know that the problem with the set-top box is content, right? It, it, they need to be able to match the content that people can get from cable, from cable or satellite or what have you. Um, and one area that's proved a particularly hard nut to crack, I think, is live programming. Um, and that's something I think that they're they're working on, uh, sort of being able to deploy these things like live events or like when they do the iTunes concerts uh, and stuff like that. So they can just sort of say, hey, you know, you can watch your sports or you can watch your you know presidential debates or what have you that's just sort of the live content that you want. Um, I think they, stay, they have a lot more to do in that area in order to really get to a point where they're competitive. But, you know, that said, I, I love my Apple TV. I use it pretty much every day. Um, and I think that it is it's really moved the whole set top box industry forward. Um, but, you know, it's still kind of a, a niche when it comes to competing with the traditional means of getting television. Uh, and I think they got a lot of work to do there. But at the same time, there there's a lot of opportunity because if you, you got to look something as simple as uh, someone was trying to watch a friend of mine was trying to watch the Olympics the other day. And despite having Comcast and getting NBC was told they could not like when they went to log into the NBC site and watch Olympics, they're like, sorry, you're not a subscriber because she didn't have the right channel or something in her pack in her like cable package and it's like but it's the olympics it's on nbc like i could turn on the television right now and watch this um so uh, there's a lot of opportunity to exploit there especially if you know these cable companies just keep getting bigger as news suggests they might and uh i, I just have a couple of side notes here one um flo i think you're missing out i mean that new in sync channel is just awesome <laughs> so um yeah, it just went up, but it may not be up much longer. So, and they don't have that on Roku, I'll tell you that. Um, they do have HBO Go on there. And you said, but I don't have a subscription to HBO. Well, it turns out that the chairman of the board recently of HBO said, you know what? We don't care if people share their uh, login information with other people who don't have a subscription. We think of it as advertising for our content. So those people out there who feel badly that they've been sharing their Netflix and their HBO login information with their friends don't because apparently the people who run the companies think this is great because and I think it's true that when you see some of this kind of content you think wow this is really good I should get it and I should sign up for HBO so you know you have friends I'm just just saying um, as for the uh, the actual question I do think that um, Apple has done some interesting things I think the Beatles thing was a, a nice opportunity for them to advertise it was again as as you mentioned, the um, U.S. versions of the Beatles albums are out. I don't know why anybody would buy them. The Beatles hated them. Um, they sequenced their albums in a particular order for a very good reason, and Capitol Records destroyed that. So, you know, other than the fact that Paul and Ringo and Yoko are going to make a lot of money from it, uh, you know, who cares? But it does it just show you how fluid they are, the ability to, whether for promotional reasons or for other special reasons like the iTunes uh, shows, it gives you the opportunity to throw stuff up there immediately and then take it down later. Whereas Roku, which I also have and like, does give you access to the more niche stuff, but it doesn't seem to be so much that like we have a set uh, group of content here. We can make it come, we can make it go, but you can also kind of come into the back door and add it that way, which I think is 
geekier and more fun for people who like configuring boxes like that. But for the general consumer, it's sort of confusing. Yeah. So to wrap up this particular topic, I, 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 I do think this is a sign of things to come for Apple TV. I think this is the year Apple really starts putting a little bit more thought into what it's doing with this, this particular box. You could, I could easily see Apple striking deals with artists who have uh, you know, recorded things a bit more recently than the Beatles to, to have their own channels. In I could sync. Even see, yeah, like in sync. <laughs> uh, I could see them uh, doing uh, striking deals with uh, shows to have channels devoted to specific uh, programs you already enjoy that uh, contain – uh, backlogs of episodes as well as uh, uh, specially produced content. And, you know, not to get Gene Munster on everyone, but I could even see Apple getting into the original programming game with uh, with original channels on, on the Apple TV. I... Uh, uh, I'm not terribly excited about uh, about a Beatles channel, quite honestly, but I am excited by by what it represents. So, Flo, it looks like you have something to say. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about the Battle of Normandy, and I don't mean Normandy, <laughs> France. I mean the Nokia Normandy. So there have been, uh, you know, a bunch of really crazy. I call them salacious rumors. Um, I tweeted some time ago that I, I didn't think this was going to happen, and, well, I was wrong. Uh, or, rather, I haven't been disproven yet, but, you know, uh, there's a lot of rumors that Nokia is going to release an Android phone codenamed Normandy. Now, the idea is that this would help Nokia enter into the emerging markets because Windows Phone is having a really hard time kind of getting into countries like China, where Android reigns supreme right now. Um, well, you know, we'll see how that is in a year. But uh, it's just sort of interesting to hear this because both sides of the argument, you know, one side says, well, this would be a really stupid move for uh, Nokia because of its close partnership with Microsoft now. Uh, and the other side of the, the coin says, well, this is really good for Nokia because now it's going to gain some more market share throughout the world. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I think the big challenge is that Nokia has really married itself to Windows Phone. And so the marketing, I feel like, is going to be tricky, uh, especially when we're talking about a market that is very, very saturated right now with Android phones from tons of different manufacturers. So the question for Nokia is, what can it do that is that will distinguish itself from the phones offered by Samsung and LG and all those guys? Um, and I think that's a real uphill climb for them. I think they've, they've shown that they do a good job of doing uh, hardware engineering. Um, a lot of the Windows phones have been really well regarded on the hardware side. I think, unfortunately, the, the software side at times has been uh, a little bit more finicky. Um, and Android certainly allows for a, a large degree of customization, but it, it also has its frustrations. And I wonder, you know, are they if they're going after a market that's not necessarily just about like, hey, we want to capture the people who really like Nokia products, then, you know, those people at some point had a choice between Nokia and something else and opted to go, you know, somewhere else. So I think they may find themselves kind of beset on all sides. Um, by not really having a lot to potentially offer, especially in those emerging markets where things like hardware design I don't think count for as much. Those tend to be more uh, like luxury-focused goods like Apple products tend to be. Um, and so, you know, the Android market is is so broad right now that there's certainly room for anyone, but the, the question really remains if you're trying to gain some market share or just sell more phones, period, 
um, unless you're going to come out with something that's really, really competitive to what's out there, uh, it may be that they're just sinking their, their R&D in the wrong direction. But I don't know that much about Android or Windows Phone, so I could totally be off base there. But I'll pass it to someone who maybe has a different opinion. I do want to quickly add that uh, these phones will not have any of the Google apps, or at least that's what uh, they're purporting, because um, because Nokia didn't do this deal with Google, so it doesn't have any of the Google suite of apps that usually come on Android. Awkward. Oh, that'll help. So it's going to yeah be preloaded with Nokia's version of those apps. Oh, perfect. Um, it seems to me that this is indicative of somebody somewhere needing to get all the players in the room and i would say microsoft and nokia get all the major players in the room there and somebody start flipping tables <laughs> um it is an indication to me that nokia has sort of said well okay we're going to be with microsoft but you know i don't know if we're ready to like you know exchange rings or anything but we're just kind of heavily <laughs> dating but kind of but maybe i'm going to see somebody else at the same time microsoft now has a new ceo who's been there forever. I think, you know, really get somebody in there who said, now look, this is the way it's going to go. Nokia, you're our, here's your ring. Now you're going to make Windows phones because we really, really, really are going to try to do this or we're going to get out one or the other. But we're not going to sort of say, well, yeah, you're kind of with us. But yeah, if you want to date somebody else, that's fine because I'm, I'm an understanding kind of corporation. Um, it just, it, it, I think it, what it does is it instills no confidence in the consumer. Should I get this phone? I don't know. It's not going to have Google stuff on it, Well, but it's not a Windows phone. So what are you? And again, Nokia, what are you? Are you with Microsoft or are you not with Microsoft? Make a choice. Date one or date the other, but make a choice. And Microsoft, you have the right to start flipping tables over. Make choices. Show that the new person in command can actually make changes instead of just throwing stuff at the wall because you have a lot of money and hoping two years later something happens. That's so funny, Chris. You just described a Swedish engagement, uh, which is <laughs> really yes. Apparently, I was my friend just told me this this last weekend. Apparently, a Swedish engagement. The engagement happens, and you don't really do anything about it for a couple of years, uh, which is you know that slightly appropriate all. considering Nokia is Finnish. And, you know, Scandinavians. Anyway, Phil? <laughs> you know Scandinavians. <laughs> I am not an expert on, uh, on Scandinavia, nor on Finland. Uh, and I, I wish the topic was about the, uh, the Battle of Normandy, because uh, I prepared lots about Omaha Beach and Juneau Beach and all that. Instead, I will talk about the Nokia Normandy. Uh, it's kind of a, a perplexing thing to me. I, if, if someone ever uh, said to me, you can't use an iPhone anymore, uh, I think I would probably go for a Windows phone. The few times that I've had them, I've really uh, enjoyed them. I, 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 I find the experience better than, than an Android experience, as I, I, I think I've mentioned on, on previous podcasts. I, I really uh, like what uh, Nokia and Microsoft are doing here with their, with their phones. I think at the very least, it's a, it, it, it doesn't feel like a me too experience. So uh, with Nokia sticking its toe into the tempting waters of Android, I, I guess I understand the appeal from a, a, a business focus. From, from trying to get into the emerging markets that you're talking about. But boy, does it, it send a mixed message out there about what you're trying to do. And I think it would be better just to, as Chris says, is you is or is you ain't my baby. So uh, <laughs> that's what I would do. So we're just going to have to wait and see. 
interesting. So we've reached the end of our uh, of our tech topics. Now it's time for a little bit of a change of pace. I mentioned in uh, one of those uh, conversations the Olympics, which of course are happening as we speak uh, in Sochi. And so I was going to go around and see if you guys have any particularly any particular favorite events at the Winter Olympics, Chris. Yeah, I kind of like the uh, the pink eye competition. No, <laughs> Bob Costas left and right eye. It seemed that the left eye Costas. had the huge, huge lead, but now uh, the the right eye has caught up, and so much so that uh, that they've kind of gone off into a, a private room somewhere and, and are battling it out. I, I, I really enjoy sports. Uh, the Winter Olympics tend not to be my bag because um, the kind of sports I don't like are the ones where it's a panel of judges holding up scorecards uh, uh, saying how well you did instead of did you score the most points or, or, or did you uh, get to the finish line before everyone else. I mean there are events like that like the downhill skiing which I do enjoy but um, the, the figure skating and, and some of these X Games competitions they've added in recent years those, those leave me – Leave me kind of cold. <laughs> the Winter Olympics, uh, uh, but yeah, hockey, curling, downhill skiing—those are fun. Luge, I like them all. Okay, I have not watched the Winter Olympics since the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan mess <laughs> because, frankly, that's not an Tanya event. You realize Harding was not guilty, and that is all I'm going to say about that. That is a bold stand. Wow. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, myself, though I don't watch too many of the Winter Olympic events, I've always loved the idea of the biathlon, uh, but I think it should be combined and we should do shooting and downhill skiing simultaneously because <laughs> I think we could really mesh those two. See, I, w- I was thinking about this last night. I would add it to the bobsled because you have Ooh. those three other guys in the bobsled who really are just adding weight. And what they That's... should do is they should be armed. And as they go down the, 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 the track, they should shoot at targets alongside the track. And the driver can keep driving. It's like a, it's like training for your getaway at the bank robbery. Exactly. Oh, man, now I've got a great idea for a screenplay. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and thank all of you uh, for joining us on this week's episode of Clockwise. Chris Breen. Thank you very much. And Florence Ian, thank you. Thank you. Tanya Harding was not guilty. <laughs> and my delightful co-host, Philip Michaels. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Dan. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs>